nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another thrill-packed, fun-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me this week, Sir Michael Libsley, we have... Bonnie Prince Carmichael. Bonnie Prince Carmichael. Yes, Ooh, there you Very go. interesting, dear. It always yeah, reminds me of the... Uh, you can yeah. explain, yes, go. You, well, remind you of well, what? Well, it reminds me of uh, Billy Conley, uh, the very, very astute, wonderful comedian, has got that joke, hasn't he, about Bonnie Prince Charlie, the only man ever named after three sheepdogs. <laughs> <laughs> Which I always thought was, you know, you know how great oh, he is. And he talks about him being, you know, there's this representation on all the shortbread, and he's all heroic. Yeah. He says, it's just yeah. a gay Italian midget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the Wonderful. shirt we wear for a mash in the Harris Tweed. It's fucking Brian Halon! <laughs> anyway, let's hear Bonnie Prince Carmichael. Oh, no, Bonnie Prince Carmichael is because uh, this week I, I sat down and um, every couple of years I have a little Peter Watkins watch. He's right. So I had a Culloden watch this week, and my God, I'd forgotten how good that is. It's such a good piece of telly, isn't it? Now, for those at home who don't know, Peter Watkins' style is he makes uh, documentary-style drama, and his first job at the BBC is in 1964, and he shot the Battle of Culloden, 1746? Mm Mm-hmm. 1746. He shot the Battle of Culloden as though there were news cameras there. But that he does that lovely thing, doesn't he? Where he won't use trained actors because they'll act, and he doesn't yeah. like that. He likes the realism, so he'll use amateur dramatic groups at best. Yeah, and that's what he did, and he actually shot it up on Culloden. So, God, it's perfect, isn't it? It's it's I wonderful. It is absolutely one, and and for me, there's I think it has a. It's one of those great things that. Uh, great artistic moments have whereby they can be there's a foreshadow and there's a postshadow isn't there so the foreshadow mm. I think would be Ken Russell's Elgar documentary that yes. he did for the BBC so that's a sort of you know not quite but it's obvious that that must have been an inspiration especially when you've seen uh, Peter Watkins is it 1974 the one he did on Edvard Munch uh, yes. it's, it's certainly in the 70s it's, it's all German language as well which makes it yeah, yeah. sort of a little beyond our um, comprehension um, yeah. and, and then the 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 pole shadow the art uh, whatever you want to call it the aftershadow is the way that um python used what he did in uh the holy grail with having yes. the guy there on the battlefield uh, and he gets the head cut off which is such a jarring moment in the holy grail isn't it but one mm. uh, one other thing and here we are you can set your clocks running now um people at him is uh, it already f- <laughs> it's first doctor who reference so so the, so the one thing that always confused me as a young chap uh, was in the Highlanders. Now, that's Floddenfield, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. So Culloden, Flodden, it's like, is that, a, I always wondered if that was fictionalised, but I think there was a Floddenfield. There, there is a, uh, there was a Battle of Flodden as well, yeah. and I can remember that, because I remember we drove past it when I was very young on a, on a family holiday. So yeah, there was Flodden as well. Right. Yeah. So, Which I but, think um, I think was 1745. Now I could be completely wrong. I think Flodden was 1745, which meant for years, until about last year, I was convinced the Battle of Culloden was 1745, which is why I just had to check with you. Because my instinct is to say 1745, because of the Highlanders. Yes. Whereas in fact 1746 is Culloden. Yes, I knew it was 46. I think, I think I, it's Well, I, I, I think. think it is. Again, yeah. we could be completely mistaken here, which is no could bad be. thing. You know, could have uh, the boys... it with Bannockburn, not impossible. It's a lovely slice of cake as well, dear. Mm. So, so, so you've had a rewatch this week of Mr. Watkins' Finest Hour. 
I have. It's. I yeah. mean, it is. It's just such a beautiful piece of work, um, and it's. It God, it's graphic, isn't it? Um, it's. Yes. It's absolutely wonderful. But of course, it's one of only really two things he did for the BBC. He did uh, that and the War Game, mm. and there was that fear at the BBC when he first tried to get a, uh, some work for them, and he did a piece um, called The Forgotten Faces. Now, and that's a an extra on one of the DVDs. Right. Uh, and that's a dramatisation of the Hungarian student uprising that he right, shot. Right, yes, yes. And he shot it in the back streets of, I think, Cambridge, but when they were demolishing some old back streets. So the place looks like it's in the middle of a revolution. And he shoots this, and he sent it to the BBC, and their first instinct was, well, we can't hire him, because if we, if we do that, nobody will ever believe the news again, because it's so realistic. And then, of course, mm. they do hire him. You get Culloden, which is just beautiful. Then you get the war game. Yes. And then, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's, right, that's not being shown. That's true, too truthful. We're not having Yes. Mm. When you mention late 60s, no one will believe the news ever again, it puts me in mind of the newsbenders. That lovely play with Donald Pleasance. Isn't it 68? I could be no, it's wrong. D- definitely sixty-seven. It's Donald right. Pleasance. I remember uh, it's one of the earliest colour VTs they've still got left in sixty. Uh, yes. Yeah, sixty-seven. Absolutely phenomenal. It's so damage. good, isn't it? Oh, it's my. so good. God, it's that's so wonderful. good. I love when he shows theater. in the next Wonderful. five minutes of... Sorry, go on. Sorry, I'll just tell my bit of yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love when he no, shows no. him the next five years of the news. Sorry, so you were saying it's 30-minute theatre. Mm. 30-minute theatre. Um, back when we used to have that, because, of course, um, Culloden uh, and The War Game were made for the Wednesday play. Um, you know, you had the Wednesday play, you had Play of the Month, you had 30-minute theatre. All of these tiny standalone dramas that used to be made. Um and, and the reason that I love them so much is not just because of the variety, but it's also because of the employment as well. I mean, yeah. the, the turnover of actors and the turnover of writers. If you, And that's why occasionally you'll get a performance in a piece of television from that time, which isn't very good. But it's because you couldn't always get very good actors because they were, they were in such demand. It's like yes. if you watch Doctor Who reference to The Robots of Death, the performances are all strong, but there's a female actress, and I think she's called Tanya Roberts, Tanya Rogers, she plays Zilda in that. And she's not the best, but that's probably because she's up against such strong competition. Mm. All the other actors, Pamela Salem, David Bailey, um, what's his name? Silver from Sapphire and Steve, David Collings. Yes. All of the, and, and Russell Hunter from Callan. Uh, you know, oh. this is a... A stellar now, guest cast. Now you've oh. hit a rich seam of nice things with Russell Hunter. Oh, Russell Hunter, magnificent. Now you are fucking talking. Oh, magnificent actor. You get all of these strong actors together. So if you get one actor who is not of their level, they could be brilliant in a piece of television now, and they'd probably be leading in some shit set on a submarine, like that bollocks that's been on with Saran Jones or whatever she's called. What's Saran but- Jones and what's this bollocks that's been on? It, uh, I know nothing. Is this now? Yes. Yes, it's now. Right, you know right. I've got an issue with tense television. I don't like tense television. I don't get any joy. No, and I have to of... say, your theory holds water, and I now buy into it. I, 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 I think that the majority of the nation, well, maybe globally, but I think the majority mm. of this nation's problems are down to people coming home at night and putting on television that makes them tense. 
Yes, you don't want that. That It's like I've said before, when they used to rehearse Crossroads, if there was an argument, they'd go for it hell for leather, and they'd dial it down in the studio, because, as Noel Gordon said, people don't want that sort of thing when they're having their tea. Quite right. We don't, we want, you know, television should be relaxing. You should be able to just fall into it. It should be dreamy. It shouldn't be utter tension. So this thing with Saran Jones, the actress actor, probably got to say these days, um, mm. was set on a submarine. And it was just tension and people being slaughtered on a submarine. And then at the end of last week, I caught oh, the no. last two minutes looking for something else. And she got locked in a torpedo tube and it's filling with water and she's no. screaming and then it cuts. And I was like, well, I don't feel very well now. I, I don't want that. Yes. I don't want it. Yes, I think that it is, I think that television has raised the national cortisol... Is it cortisol mm. or cortisone production uh, rates mm. quite considerably over the last 30 years? I mean, we used to have things like the deadly attachment with Dad's Army and stuff like that, which, you yes. know, that, that tension had its own thing, didn't it? But that it tension did. was always sort of... <sighs> what's the word I'm looking for here, underscored by mm. the familiarity and the safety of the cast. We knew yes. we were in a safe pair of hands. Now, we did have exceptions, notable exceptions, like Peter Bowles dying in the first episode of Survivors, mm-hmm. like um, Jeffrey Palmer dying in, is it episode three of the Silorians? One of them, yeah. he, when he dies, and he dramatically dies on the side of, isn't he, on Waterloo Station or something? That's right, um, it is. Well, he runs out of Waterloo Station, then he grabs some railings and dies between the railings face to camera. Yeah. But of course... With those, we get the cliffhanger, but you know it's going to be all right. You know it's going to be all right. That's it, isn't it? And and that's that's what you want. You want to know that even if there is a cliffhanger, it's going to be all right. So 30-minute theatre, you know you're going to watch a programme that lasts 30 minutes. Lovely. Yeah. And it will be self-contained. Wednesday play, play of the month, play of the week. They're going to be self-contained beautifully sculptured pieces of work by Dennis Potter and people like that. Wonderful pieces of writing. But we don't have that now. And and a reason that, for example, one of the key reasons that I do love love Crossroads is the turnover. Number one. Off we go. It's the number the number of cast that they employed over its run. It's about 14,000 actors that were employed on that show. Must be. It was a huge amount because they bring actors in to do maybe three months, and that'd be it. You'd come in, you'd have a three-month-long storyline. So it's lovely, because I know now, if a, when I'm watching it, exactly how long a story is going to run, because, you know, there's four a week. Okay, four times four times three. Okay, But you even gone. know the rhythms and the beats, don't you? You know what's going to be do. a 30-second scene, and you know what's going to be a night. I mean, you know, you've do. broken it down to that granular level, which... Yeah. You should you should write a book on on how uh, things like cross crossroads and I suppose by logical extension things like compact and united and and all these things were constructed. I Absolutely, built I mean, they, the they do follow a lovely rhythm, and that rhythm's been broken now. And I think that also the the other upshot is we just don't employ that many actors anymore and that many writers and therefore we didn't need that many studios and so that's why you've got Lorraine and Studio 3 at TV Centre but we shan't go there I'll get no it. let's not that's like a shit stained pair of undies when you go for a wee at a family <laughs> do at the at the restaurant in the bog and it like oh I don't want to see that is, is so, this a biographical story well it's the kind of thing that sort of in this modern world that you sort of you'd be having a nice sort of meal with your family it's like I'll just go and have myself a little gypsies and you'll yeah. go to the lavatory and you'll, you'll open 
certain cubicle one. It's a bit like blind date, isn't it? Ra, let's try, <laughs> let's try cubicle one, and there will be a sort of soiled garment, and it's just like. You know what? I'm gonna skip dessert now. I'm, I'm all right. Like you know, what I mean, I don't fancy yeah. that bloody. Uh, I don't fancy that. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so I think mention of things like Lorraine are kind of like finding that shitty pair of duds when you're sort of out for a family meal. However, yes. however, also with these people, they had such a wealth of experience, and um, I can't think who it is in that uh, um, thing about just a minute. But he's on about. I think it might be William G. Stewart. Did he produce Just a Minute? Did he? Is that potentially him? Just a Minute? No, he did. Well, I mean, he did all sorts, though, didn't he? I mean, but there's one from... producer of Just a Minute who said he never knew anyone. He could go like that with Kenneth Williams from the from the gallery and just lift his hands up like that, and Kenny would take oh. the audience up there. Yes, absolutely. And, now, was and that then he'd all... just go, he'd just bring his hands down. I thought it was William G. Stewart, but then... You know, it's the not impossible. Cheat. I mean, William G. Stewart, you look at the man, everyone, these days you think 15 to 1, but if I look over there, there's Father Dear Father, and that was him as well. Man so. about the house. I there mean, I go. mean, all these things. It is crazy. Do you know what I was reading the other day, which surprised mm. me? You know Vince Powell and Harry Driver? Because oh, yes. there's, a, there's a sitcom I have no knowledge of and I need to have a knowledge of, because I think it's a fascinating con- concept in itself, which is never mind the quality field of width, which is John... <laughs> John Bluthall, Bluthall, you Bluthal pronounce it, and, and Joe Lynch, Joe That's Lynch, it, yeah. and they play um, a Jewish guy and a, an Irish Catholic guy who are working together, and they run a, a tailor's shop. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. That's so initially, right. that's insane, right? For for a sort of a, a sort of. You know, to put that together like that, it's like, right, it's kind of, let's put ingredients together and see what happens. You know, Mm. I don't think things like that would happen now for fear of upsetting sensibilities. It's a massively popular show, which I think ran for six seasons. Yes. um, With incredible people working in it. And when you look at the cast list in the, you know, the the guest stars they had, people like Rupert Davis, they had David Kossoff in the... um, Anyway, it's it's I'm only I'm only giving it off. Uh, it's it's what people who say everything is easy do. They read Wikipedia and give you a potted sort of history of things, which is not correct because I know nothing about it. But the the series was that successful; it spawned a film, so it must have been pretty damn. You know, six series film. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, all of those sitcoms. I mean, you look at them now, and yeah, they're they're cheap and cheerful. But the fact is that they. They're good. I mean, look, On the Buses, for example, oh, I, I adore that series. There's nothing challenging about it whatsoever. I can just immerse myself in On the Buses. Yes, and the two Ronalds did the job right there, didn't they? they Mr. Did. Wolf and Chesney. They did, but you you can simply just watch that. And unlike sitcoms now, there's not going to be massive character developments where suddenly, oh, however, somebody's got AIDS or yeah. something. You know, there's always got to be that. I blame Carla Lane for this with Bread, where didn't Christmas Day special of Bread, I'll never forget, about 85 or 86. And I'm watching it Christmas Day. I would have been 11 or 12. And the dog got run over and killed. Oh, no. No, no, no. That's the shitty undies again in the toilet at the restaurant. No, no, I don't want to hear this. Why do that? Why kill Mongi? Yes, stop letting these... Stop! Stop! They killed the dog. You wouldn't get away with that now. You wouldn't get away with calling. No, you wouldn't get away with that now, unless it was a Ricky Gervais thing. So, 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 so the point I was making with um, 
never mind the quality field with, mm. uh, was it was a Vince Pat. So William G. Stewart got us here, uh, mm. and you've took us to the shitty undies in the bog with Carla Lane. I'll stop doing that. The, now. the hinterground is Vince Powell and Harry Driver, right? So yes. the, they were the the progenitors of um, of that one, uh, and as we know, they sort of did quite a lot. But what I didn't know was that Harry Driver died in 1974. That's what surprised me. That really surprises me. So did Vince Powell do a number of these things just by himself and keep Must them? Must have I could swear. Was his name Likewise. still on the credits? Likewise. Likewise, mate. That's the thing that's... And people at home are going, we don't know what you're on about. We don't care what you're on about. But but you I should. knew that to you that would, that would sort of rock your world, the fact that Harry Driver died in 1974. Are you sure? He can't have done, because that's before I, I was born, and I'm sure the man was making telly, I which I... Were they still crediting him on programs after he They must have been as, as creator. They must have been. I was absolutely blown away with that date. Do you know what I mean? Are you sure? I mean, I'm not doubting I'll, you I'll at all. I'll have another You've little look. Let's have another I'll, little look let, on the internet. Let's award because, ourselves with the Google. Because okay. I, uh, I was stunned by that. Harry Driver, 25th of November, 1973. So two days after my first birthday, he died. Harry Driver was a British television scriptwriter and executive producer, best remembered for his partnership with Vince Powell. All right, so we knew that. However, I did not know he died age 42 on the 25th of November, 1973. There you go. That's, now, isn't that, that fascinating? Because no, as, far as, I knew, is. as far as I knew, I thought that Vince Powell and Harry Driver wrote Carry On Behind, released in 1975. Because yeah. after Rothwell, because Rothwell was very uh, sick from about 72 onwards, I think. Yeah, that's right. What yeah. I didn't know was I got, I recently got hold of, and I don't recommend buying it, I, re- I recently got hold of Norman Hoodis's, um autobiography, you know, the original Carry On screenwriter. Yes. And I didn't know that his association with the Carry On films had ended in... What, 65, whatever it is, 63, 64, when he just went to Hollywood to make a lot more money? Because we all presume, don't we, that Mr. Hudis was just like, oh, he must have been sacked or something like that. Not so. Went on oh, to greater right. success. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, Talbot Rothwell was the man for the carry on. Talbot Rothwell was wonderful. But I thought wonderful. that. Wonderful. I thought Vince Powell and Harry Driver wrote carry I'm going to have one last Google. To okay, carry on yeah. behind because that's, that's the quota of Google's for this week. Gone, that's quite too early, gone, absolutely yeah. gone. Uh, I thought it was written, no, no, it was the other guy, Dave Freeman. This other right. name that comes in mid 70s, right? So, okay. yeah, there you go with the old Harry Driver. Did not I'm, know that genuinely. I'm quite baffled by that. I really am quite baffled. That's shook me that one, I have to say, but okay, fair enough. Yes, news of that death upset me this week. I have to say. Uh, yeah, nearly 50 years later. That's nearly 50 years later. Somewhat of a shock to find out. You'll be pleased to know that, speaking of things which uh, have a sort of um, impact which sets in after the fact, we this week, finally, because work will not let us go anywhere during no. work hours, finally this no. week I was able to visit the post office and we have... Oh, off we go. We have the Lovely. Willow the Wisp LP... And, and we have more Willow the Wisp stories. There you go. Oh, God, That's I love this so like. much. Arthur. Oh, it's not Arthur, oh. is it? It was a, yes, Arthur. Arthur. You've no, got, but you've I'm got trying Ar- to think of the voices. Well, Maeve. You've got Ar- Maeve yeah. is the one, isn't it? 
Bye. That's it. An, an aggressive Cockney trade unionist is how Williams described him. Um, I love that. <laughs> Isn't well, that Arthur wonderful? the Caterpillar. Arthur the Caterpillar was an aggressive Cockney trade unionist. It's just wonderful. wonderful. wonderful I just love that. That sticks in the voice because that's the voice he does for his dad, Maeve. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely wonderful. And what I love about those albums is that program, for some reason, we've talked about it before. And what's lovely is, of course, it's October. It's Willow the Wisp territory. It's Willow the Wisp time, nearly. And those programmes are cemented in my brain from when they were first on. So when you listen to the the, uh, the LPs, you're aware that there's an awful lot going on that you just... If if you hadn't seen them, you'd just be thinking, well, what the hell is going on? Because there's a sudden noise of a concertina going poof, 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 at one point. And I know that that's a giant bird jumping and you can only see its foot if I'd not seen it I would not know what the hell's going on but for some reason those animations Nick Spargo's animations are here and they yeah. won't go and I must tell you I was thinking of that because I was thinking you were getting those um, a wonderful woman I met called Betty um, and I was now Betty was from Macclesfield and the two things I can remember about Betty well we met her on a camping holiday uh, in about 1982 83 um, and I remember she didn't have any toes at all. No wow. toes. Yeah, okay. uh, just born without toes, um, which fascinated me because wow. it was the it was the height of summer and everyone's walking around in flip-flops and things and straight away there's me age seven going, she's got no toes? Rather strange. In flip-flops, um, a woman with no toes in flip-flops. Well, no, she had some sort of... I mean, I, I would say they were almost like open-toed crocs, but such a hideous thing couldn't have existed in the No, in the we're good back to day. those... Those underpants in the toilets there. Here we are. So, no, we're not having that. But anyway, she had no toes. Dr. Shawl was the big thing back then, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Now, maybe that's what. Fucking wooden shoes, my mum had just twat me around the back of the head with. See, I'm thinking wooden shoes here when I think Yeah, Dr. Shawls, they had a little sort of buckle on them, didn't they? That's Uh, it, yeah. uh, uh, It'd be like, get me my shawls. And it's yeah. like you, you were then going to get the shoes in order to be hit around the head with them. <laughs> and you'd have this sort of, oh, do I have to? Go and get them. And you'd go and get them. And you'd, you'd bring them to your mother. So she's like, right, stand there. Fwop! Oh, yes. Anyway, Betty oh. Notos. That's enough of Be- my repressed Be- memories of childhood. Yeah, Betty Notos. But she was a magnificent artist. Um, and she only had to see something once and she could draw it perfectly from memory. Wow. And... Um, I, I had, uh, you know, the Will of the Wisp books that used to get these little books, um, uh, which were yes. uh, novelizations of the series. And I had a few of them. I had The Bridegroom, which was the first episode, and a few others. And I had um, Holidays, where Arthur tries to go on holiday but ends up with a head injury and starts hallucinating. It's just magnificent. Brill. Wonderful. And then Edna uh, decided that she'll go to the Costa del Sol. But she's only going so she can sit on a nice balcony here. And it's so that she can make it rain on everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yes. But comes back yeah. at the end and she hasn't had a nice time because her feet have gone rusty with, with her being a tally. Anyway, so I got Betty to read one Superb. of these stories to me. And then from memory, overnight, she drew and painted a complete Will-O-The-Wisp wow. sort of picture wow. for me. Absolutely magnificent. And I remember talking to her, being young and precocious, saying, is that what you do for your work? And she looked really sad, and she said, well, what I wanted to be was I wanted to be an art teacher, and I wasn't allowed to be because I can't do maths. 
I just remember thinking that was... I couldn't get my head around this. and I still can't now, this government drive. Everyone's got to be able to do maths. Yeah. No. Um, and Betty was the most wonderful artist. And she was... God, she was brilliant with me. She just gave me so much of her time. And then I, subsequently, for a few years afterwards, we'd go on holidays together as two families. And brilliant. she'd not had kids either. I remember that. So she was really quite taken with me being being quite demanding. And she... Um, yeah, I remember it. She just seemed incredibly sad. She'd wanted to be a teacher and she was brilliant with me and she was a brilliant artist but hadn't got the maths so she couldn't do it. But uh, yeah, she painted these wonderful Will-o'-the-Wisp scenes for me. And do you still have them? I've got two at my mum's. I must get them. You I'll must get them, and I you will must, show and you them. must put them in frames to must, to yeah. sort of venerate Betty Notos. Absolutely, yes. You Betty know. is long gone. I'm afraid Betty. I'm uh, Betty certain, died. Yes, went the way of the toes sometime. Yes, ago. Betty. Yes. Uh, sometime late eighties, I think Betty went. But uh, absolutely, oh God, she was a wonderful one of those people who had such an impact. So I saw her for. If you put all the days together, I would have spent about four days of my life with her. But just one of those people who this impact. And, yeah. and that ability to paint from, draw and paint from memory, but in a way so it looked exactly like the illustrations, exactly like the front cover of that first album. Just yeah, that must have been proper savant territory. That, but but then oh, if yeah. she had all those sort of interpersonal skills, then maybe mm. not. I mean, mm. I remember. I mean, teachers were would like that, weren't they? They were fucking assholes in many cases. I remember mm. going to see Miss Berry when I was in the first year of senior schools because I was obsessed with your favourite Grange Hill and it was like I really wanted to be an actor you know what I mean and I went to see Miss Berry um, who was the drama teacher and I said to Miss Berry I really want to be an actor really want to be an actor really want to you know what I mean and I stood around I stayed around at the end of class that day to ask because I really wanted to sort of I, I was thinking right you know in the world that you're in your drama teacher in school that is the only way well certainly was for us wasn't it that mm. was the only key in the door for you to yeah. transcend the, the shitty life that you had and maybe you know go into something else so I stayed behind and it was like when she went, when everyone went I was like oh miss you know I really want to go to drama school I'd really love to be an actor is there any way you can help like you know and she was doing a register at the end of the class or whatever and I remember I'm stood behind her you know and I just remember the back of her head as she took her glasses off and then they went down and she folded them very carefully and placed them on the book and turned around to me and she said people who speak like you don't go to drama school goodbye and that was oh. it. And I, but the, but you know, I mean, I, t I shouldn't have taken that. I just, yeah, but the thing is, I just took that and I never, that was it. You know what I mean? Mm. That I didn't try again. I just took that one knock back. And I mm. think that's what is so critical that teachers, thankfully nowadays, do appreciate, actually. Mm. Um, the, the sort of position, not only of responsibility they hold towards students, but also this, this trust thing whereby, you know, it's kind of like you can really crush someone mm. if, if you know nothing about something and this person is, in your head at least, the only authority on the subject that there is. So Absolutely. as far as you're concerned... Grange Hill is out of bounds. Everything is out of bounds because Miss Berry said that you mm. couldn't do it. You know what I mean? And that's the yes. way kids are, unfortunately. I mean, probably no, not absolutely. now. Probably not well, now. No, but, but but we were, certainly, I would think. And if you weren't lucky enough to have a teacher who went, yes, I believe that you could do something, yeah, that was it. That was it. You would be crushed by that. 
Was, yeah, and it, was... it wasn't even a case of assessing any kind of ability. It was just the way I spoke, you know what I mean? Um, maybe that's why I'm so obsessed with voices. Who knows? Um, another another album that I got because you oh, yes. get me on these discog things, and then I do. because I'm a sort of one of the most celebrated tight asses of our generation, <laughs> I then have to stack up the albums in order to make the postage justified. Mm. Uh, and I got the old Hedgehog Sandwich, the old Not Ooh. the Nine O'clock News album, uh, yes. which I've not listened to yet. But God, as a kid, the music out of these. I mean. I don't know if it's on this, but do you remember Nice Video Shame About the Song? Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I do yeah. remember that. I also remember my dad watching Not the Nine O'Clock News and pissing himself laughing at the song Kind of Lingers and me thinking, why yeah. is that funny? Yeah. I don't know. Kind of Lingers. <laughs> I'll tell you what's wonderful. on here. Um, I just spotted it. Let me look again. Uh, the news summary, um, mm. which um, I presume will be... Um, Reginald Bowes and K, which, which, um, I mean, looking at the back here, I should hold this up for the camera for the boys and girls. Mel Smith mm. isn't actually that porky, is he? No, he's not. I mean, as far as those days goes, I suppose he was considered a big bloke, but I mean, that's because nobody except me was fat back then. <laughs> but, um, you know, everyone copies me now. Well, but yeah. yes, everything's on it. Ah, there we go. Yeah, it is. It is the old Reginald Bosenkey. Wonderful. Now, I hate to uh, to make you break open the wallet again, but I do know you're a completist. Are you going to get the other, be... not the nine o'clock news? Yes, either? I'm afraid I'll have to. I mean, I've got the yes. two. I don't know if there are more, but I've got two um, Mel and Griff books. Which well, I don't is, know about that. Yeah, Mel and Griff live with. You remember the there was a, there was the Class Twenty Eight thing in the eighties whereby they brought that book out, didn't they? Um, of the um, oh. such a body lives with. Hang on, yeah, I've got them yeah. here somewhere. Uh, where are they? Oh gosh, I've got so much crap. They're somewhere up. There. They're somewhere up there. Um, mm. But yes, they did two books. There was the the coffee table book, which mm. has got on the back the legs to screw on there, and they've got this melon melon Griff live with. And they sat in bed with the old woman in the front. You don't remember those? <laughs> no, I don't remember those at all. I thought I had them up here. I obviously don't. Um, yeah, because the BBC were... I don't think BBC books... I think they missed a real trick there. But mm. certainly with Not the Nine O'Clock News, it, I think uh, BBC... They were a big earner for the BBC with books and stuff. I think there's a story in the documentary, isn't there? Um, mm. With uh, the producer talking about it, how much money they were making, because Rowan Atkinson got a cheque and went, what? Oh. He couldn't believe how much money these things made for them. But yes. yeah, I've not, I've not, I'm, I'm sure the uh, there are books out there as well. Not the nine o'clock news books. There, are, there, are, there's definitely at least one that I can yeah. remember. Definitely at least one. Well, I'll tell you what that it, that that uh, brings me on in that case to the uh, the nice thing that erupted. Well, the, one of two nice things that arrived for me today. Um, was up on the shelf behind me, and I've always thought, well, I'll never complete it, which is the the old Blue Peter book collection. Um, right. Where I've got book one, book three, book six, and so on. Oh, dear. A package oh, arrived. Very own. nice. Off we go. And these are in perfect condition. We have got Blue Peter. That's the seventh book. Right. We've got Blue Peter. There's the eighth book. There's John and Peter in the, uh, uh, on the um, the steam engine, the Blue Peter, that they named. Um, there's book number nine with lovely John and Shep. And here's lovely. book ten 
Well, Leslie Judd's just been introduced, so this is uh, 72, 73. Ah, so, this, is, this is the cusp of Judd. I see Val Singleton is on the front of that one as well. Well, Val, Val hung around for an awfully long time, really, right. uh, before she, she headed off. She was doing... Um, she'd be in the studio occasionally. She did the special assignments as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, for a, for a good while it was the four of them um, until Val went off to do the money programme and things that I didn't approve ah. of. Um, but, yeah, so all of a sudden I'm in a bit of a quandary because now I'm thinking, oh, might have to get the collection. Yes, you will. Well, you will, yeah. but there must be a okay. cut off, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and suggest the cut off is what nineteen. My annuals stop right at mm. 1989. That's right, where they okay. stop. I don't care. I don't I don't care about completism beyond that. The Beano books go to 89. Everything goes mm. to 89. Right. That's it. Well, so, now you say that. However, there's a problem here because there's a couple of interesting rarities. Right. Uh, um, the rarity which which so many people want to get hold of, and I don't know if, how many people have managed this, but it's the Blue Peter book for 1997. Okay. 1998. Um, and that's the year that a certain Richard Bacon uh, was reported to the news of the world for doing a small amount of cocaine and was sacked. Yes. And it's very unfortunate that they'd already published the book um, at this point, the book had been printed and it was ready right. to go, and some copies had just been released to the shops. And there's a wonderful feature in the 1998 book um, of uh, Richard Bacon doing something to do with uh, Chinese mythology, and they've decided to entitle that section Chasing the Dragon. Wonderful. Whoops. Wonderful. Um, withdrawn Wonderful. from sale. Get them out of sale. Pulp the lot. Off we go. But there are some copies out there. Now, the thing is, I want that. I want that, right, but... Well, then you're going to have to go up to that date, then, aren't you? 1998's not a good cut-off point. I'm going to have to go to 2000. But they, the box was open. The, the, the box for the year 2000 was open. I reckon 2000. We'll go from 60, what is it, 63 to 2000. I think we're Who were the presenters around about 2000? There was that... Uh, right. Who was, the, who was the girl called Katie? Katie Hill? Katie Hill. Was Katie Hill on it in two thousand? I think so. Yeah. All you right then, Kate... I'll have I'll have books with her pictures. Bit in. of Katie Hill, we'll yeah, go with that. Do me, Katie Hill, Connie Hook, gorgeous. Um, yes, I'll buy oh, them. Stuart Miles, maybe. No, I don't care uh, for Stuart. I don't care. I don't no, know who okay. he was. Um, Sounds like another Tim lad who Vincent looks like me on Kalal. <laughs> That's what, what they always had. Like? Blue Peter he always had men on who looked like me on Clown. John Noakes looked like me on Clown. Who was the <laughs> Who was the geezer from years ago? Someone Miles or Mills or something. What was he? The original Stuart one? Mile. Oh, um, Stu- Christopher Trace looked like my uncle Al. But he doesn't look like John Noakes. But they've all got essences of my uncle Al in them. <laughs> you see, okay. so they're all aspects of Uncle Al. Ah, right, okay. So, so, and I loved Uncle Al. I, I adored my Uncle Al, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And in a different universe, um, you know, um, when I when I was born, and here we go, get the violins going, kids. When I was born and unwanted by uh, grandfather, you know, they were going to adopt me, and they had lots and lots of money. So in another universe, I would have been Uncle Al's son. But, uh, you know, sadly... I was not. I was claimed back and meant uh, I had to live a life of poverty, you know. No, into the um, Dickensian. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, all aspects of Uncle Al, whereas Katie and Connie are well worth the uh, price of the book alone. Absolutely, they are. So I think we'll probably have to start building the collection now, which I've done, you know, intermittently since I was about five, but I'm afraid now, because those have arrived, no alternative, is there? Now it's... 
got to be done. So we're this off for book trouble. three. That, no, book two. That's the first one we're going to seek out. That'll cost. That will cost. That's the reason why, I mean, my Doctor Who annual collection goes from, I think it's 72. That's the, the first one that's affordable. Yes. Seventy-one's ridiculous, as we've established. Mm. It's like four hundred yeah, yeah. pounds. Yes. Um and then the ones in the sixties are sort of yeah, they're they're quite expensive. They're not quite on a par with seventy one. But no. so so I, I sort of rationalise it by I go from seventy two, I think is the first one I've got, and I go up to when they cast McCoy, it's like, no, that's enough now. No, that's enough. No. Okay, fair enough. Well no, I mean think that the last annual was eighty five. If I recall, eighty five, eighty six, something like that. But there, there wasn't a McCoy annual. We, we had two right. Colin Bakers. That's two right. Two Colin so Baker I, annuals. That's it. So I suppose I'm. I sort of consent. I, I, I console myself by having till the final one, which is there. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, and then the yearbooks, of course. Yes. The the ones they the Marvel produced in the nineties. Uh, We're talking about oh, Doctor yeah. Who again. So we um, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you about my uncle Al. In that case, my uncle Al was. Uh, everybody had an uncle Al. Everyone had an uncle Al, and that's Amazing. why Blue Peter had this sort of you know this this procession of uncle Al's. Yeah. Well, my, my uncle Al was a was a strange chap. He had he had one of those wax faces we were talking about ah, uh, last week or the week a before. Top with spun gold. Uh, well, he had sort of basically a, a teddy boy style haircut on top ah, and a right. long face. So, I mean, just very long, drawn face, very yes. craggy. I mean, he was a heavy smoker um, and missing missing the mid two fingers on his right hand. Um, and this, is, now, this is a character from a Raymond Chandler novel. It's not an uncle. This is genuinely Uncle Al. Now, uncle Al Amazing. wasn't my, my uncle. Um, he was one of those people who you called uncle. Because yeah. he was your dad's mum and dad's mate, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so we had Uncle Al, uh, Uncle Alan, and Auntie Hilda, his wife. Um, Splendid. And I, I was such a terror. They lived next door to us. I, apparently, I was such a terror with uh, trying to change nappies. Apparently, I was just satanic when I was young. That my mum used to just go over and she'd bang on the on the bedroom wall, and Hilda'd hear that and she'd let herself in. And it used to take at least two of them to pin me down and change a nappy. Um, <laughs> Auntie Hilda, gone now, and for a long time ago, another heavy smoker. Auntie Hilda's daughter, Lynn, married Roy, Roy Barker, and her, his brother is Clive Barker, the horror writer. There wow. There's a little series There's of links for you. There's some nice little links there. You can't Absolutely. beat an Uncle Al story. You can't. you can't, of course. Now I've got a cat uh, with one ear, rescue cat, uh, and because he had the missing ear, what can we call him, Alan? In memory of the two missing fingers, we'll go with that. Superb. He's celebrated so- by a cat who's turning twenty in four weeks. There we are. Oh, you went there, dear. I'm sure that when we add the audio in later, we'll get that bit. We'll get that. Yeah, we will. We'll get that. Bit. Yes. I missed so, that bit. Uh, so uh, Alan was a but, bit uh, of a sort of what was it, Yango Reinhardt? It was. Who had fingers missing, didn't he? That's it. Yeah. Well, I think I think Al. Um, I think he cut them off with a circular saw at work. Just for a laugh. Probably. Yeah. One I've of those got things. Too many fingers. Fuck them. <laughs> off they go. Off they go. <laughs> yeah. It's like um, Tony Iommi when I when I read his book. You know, the guitarist in Black Sabbath. It's mm. inst- incredible how an industrial in- injury can change the course of music, really. Because uh, when I read Tony Iommi's book, it was like, I don't know why it had never occurred to me before, but Tony Iommi's parents were Italian immigrants. Um, you know, Why didn't it occur to me that this guy with sort of olive skin and black hair called Tony Iommi uh, was an Italian, <laughs> the son of t- Italian immigrants? But um, 
because they had such this strong work ethic. So Tony mm. Iommi was in a position in 1969 whereby he could have joined Jethro Tull or he could have joined Sabbath. So he was like, right, I'm going with Sabbath and that. Uh, yeah. And he had one last shift on the Friday at the Shift Metal Factory. And because in those days people worked at factories and they were around the corner, you know, uh, yeah. he'd come on for his dinner every day and he, he's having his dinner and he's like, no, Mum, I'm not going back there now. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rock star now. I'm not going back to work, you know. And she's like, you'll go back and I'll finish your shift. Because she was this proper Italian work ethic, yeah. big mama, you're doing as you're told. So he went back and did his shift and took off the tips of these fingers Ooh. in the uh, sheet metal thing. And so that was it. He couldn't do, uh, start recording on the Tuesday with Sabbath. Or maybe he missed out on being with Tull. Because, anyway, either way, he sat there bloody miserable for a couple of weeks. Mm. And then a guy come round, one of his mates, and brought a Yango Reinhardt LP and just said, listen to this guy. You, you know, the way I think he was, I think the story with Yango Reinhardt was he was kind of like a, a, a travelling gypsy family of performers um, and some sort of people who weren't keen on gypsies firebombed the caravan and his hands ended up being fused together could be completely making that up by the way but that's my memory of it it's something good story. like that print the legend uh, yes. and he learnt to play the guitar with you know his fingers fused together he said look he can do all this with two fingers why yeah. can't you do that and so he said he stopped being miserable he said and he still has these to this day he got the uh, he, he made some fingertips with bits of his old leather jacket and taped them on and then he pressed them on the guitar and it was like yeah and they were still too sensitive because he's lost the tips of his fingers if you if you have the end of your fingers cut off the, the tips of your fingers are so fucking sensitive yeah. so he tuned his guitar down half a tone right so uh, they went from so Sabbath's music, which is like the basis of what heavy metal is, sounds so doomy because he had to tune his guitar down in order to be able to put pressure onto the frets. Good God. That's wonderful. And that now, I mean, you wouldn't have any sort of, you know, the the way that metal sounds, you know, this sort of like, you know. And then, um, I mean, we we could go on about Black Sabbath for quite some time. It is Halloween. It is. You we know, are in that month. It is. We are. I'm afraid I'm going to have to break nice things tradition here and have a wee. This are we, isn't ha- what are we, we going know. to go to a commercial I a, break? I need a wee. So we'll put a commercial break in, dear viewers. Okay. okay. We'll have a commercial break. Time for a slash. <laughs> right, I'll be back in a minute. Right, I'll, I'll have one myself. Right, okay. Pee break. Pee break. Pee break. Welcome back after that... Uh, Brief respite. Me Much back needed. teeth were underwater, I tell you. I had to, <laughs> had to go and do something about that. Um, mm. So one of the strange things that's happened this week because of my kitchen being done, as we mentioned on the Twitter feed, um, mm. it's been a strange week for you as well. You've been uh, confined to barracks with the COVID thing, haven't you? Well, yeah, I was. That was a bit of a strange thing, wasn't it? Where um, uh, I, was, I was near somebody who turned out to have COVID, and I was thinking, well... Uh, I, uh, being close to them, there we go, that's fair enough. And I informed my place of work and I said, listen, this has happened, I've been near them, don't think it's a problem. I, oh no, it's no problem, it's absolutely fine. So I got, I paid my £5.80 and I got on the train and within four seconds of the train setting off, suddenly the text, it is a problem, go home! Oh right, oh, okay. Oh dear. So confined to barracks for a couple of days, but you know what, a very nice thing happened uh, because of that, which was... Uh, which was, I was um, sort of sat looking at the record collection and I noticed the glimmer of clear plastic and I thought, what's Ooh. this? 
Well, I, I went down there and I discovered an unopened album I've picked up at some point. And it was a bit of Charles Mingus. Oh, it was, yeah. It was, um, it was our um, and it was still sealed. It was, oh, well, let's get that on, shall we? My God, that's a beautiful album. Oh, he's fucking brilliant. That's wonderful stuff. That was wonderful. So, I mean, uh, yes, it was confined to barracks, but with lovely jazz for a while. And this then leads me on to the other th- nice thing that arrived today, as well as the Blue Peter books. Something else arrived. I am having to have a little bit of a reappraisal of a certain company here with... Oh, God, they're quite heavy. With Big Finish. Um, because arriving today was uh, ah. some Big Finish merchandise. So we've got David Tennant playing Doctor Who in Dalek Universe Volume 2. Doctor Who. And then Who. we've got... Yes, and then we've got some more Christopher Eccleston. Okay. Uh, new. Now then, these are lovely because they are triple-fold gateway... Uh, albums, so three albums in each one. Now I can't resist that, Mike. If somebody no, says it's vinyl, that's beautiful. But what I love most, God, of all they here, must have cost a bit of money, though. They did, yes. They're, well, yes. thirty-five each. I mean, that's not too bad. It's for three all right. You can be honest. The wife never watches this. No, no nobody. You, watches. you could admit everything here. Yes, absolutely, dear. Um, but the the lovely thing, the lovely thing about these um, is that they are late. And that's lovely, because okay. they should have been out. Um, the Tenant one should have been out about three months ago. The Eccleston one two months ago. And they aren't, they haven't been out. And it turns out that because of the whole lockdown thing, vinyl has gone up in popularity ridiculously again. Right. People starting to love and buy vinyl once again. And, it me- and, of course, we don't have huge pressing plants for vinyl anymore. They all closed down in the 90s. And there's a massive, massive backlog of vinyls waiting to be pressed. And wow. I like that. I like the fact that now big old studios are saying, well, it might be out before Christmas. We can't be sure. Depends when they get round to it. Because, of course, it's not a mass production uh, thing, really. Wartime spirit. Absolutely. So it's you know I like the fact that vinyl's taking off a bit again. Well, by you opening that um, Eccleston uh, triple mm. pack, it's answered a question because I saw somewhere that the Dalek things, the the tenant Dalek thing concludes, doesn't it now with Dalek Universe three? Is that right? Three. The, that's right. That's the, the next one. So I spotted that earlier, and I was looking at the covers of them, and it was like, mm. are these new photos of him? Because he doesn't look any different, right? Now, mm. uh, with you showing us the interior of the Eccleston one, I'm the guessing they just use old photos. Well, let's have a look inside and see if there's anything. No, there's there's no new photos. but Because the know ones that... of Eccleston that you just showed us, he looks considerably mm. different. Cause, he um, does, yeah. Um He's yeah. so striking in them because he was he was suffering with anorexia so much, isn't wasn't he? Yeah, that's as he's right. admitted in his book. And if you look there now, yeah. he's looking actually. He, he looks a bit peaky in that one. But he the photos I've bit, seen yeah. of him lately, he looks much. He looks more well, doesn't he? He looks as though he's put a bit of weight on. He does, yeah. Um, I know that. Um, well, I think certainly Eccleston's ones. He went to studio to record them, but I know that the Tenant ones were just recorded um, in in his house under the stairs. What in his house? In his big house with his bank full of money and his smashing misses. Yeah, That's the one. I wonder why he's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. There with his microphone under the stairs. He is under the stairs. He'll have yeah. a separate studio. I'm fine. Clickety click teeth. Ink, ink. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't blame him. <laughs> Oh, I've spat coke over Christopher Eccleston, you bastard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Best so, get some wipe, of those wipes wipe out. clean. 
wipe clean. clean. There we go. Yes. It's all fine. Yes, um, those pictures <laughs> of Melinda Messenger that you had. Um, oh, oh dear. Yeah, I mean, yes. um, so that answers the question anyway. Because I thought, Christ, mm. I mean, he doesn't age anyway, does he, David Tennant? I'm a no, bit he sort of. I do take the piss out of David a little bit on this, I, I, like David gives a shit in his big house with his bank full of money and he's smashing misses and Peter Davis nice his father-in-law. That would be <laughs> rubbish, wouldn't that be rubbish? <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, but um, I mean, fair play to him. I mean, mm. you, someone showed on uh, Twitter the other day. I think you retweeted it. I'm not sure. Um, the Christmas, uh, some 2006 Toys R Us display. Oh right. yes. Oh. So the pressure on him as an actor to take over from Eccleston. I mean, fair play to the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because Eccleston was what? What did we have then? What two thousand five? So he'd done Shallow Grave, hadn't he? He'd done, he'd done Shallow Cracker Grave. Things. He'd done Cracker. He'd done he'd just come off the back of the Second Coming. He'd done Hillsborough. Big so he'd, star. Done, he'd got the pedigree. Whereas Tennant had done. He'd done Taken Over the Asylum. I think that was his Casanova first thing. Casanova he'd done. And he'd just done Casanova, yeah. which was ruined by credit squeezing, and I will never forgive the BBC. You're quite right, it was. I remember when they were oh. filming it, they filmed a lot of it here at Norton Priory in Runcorn, a lot of it, That's you know, right, the P- yeah. Peter O'Toole bit. Mm. Um, and the guys working on it, obviously filled the local pubs and stuff with stories and stuff like that. So they were just going on about Peter O'Toole being this wonderful guy to work for. He used to buy them all crates of champagne and everything. So I presume that whatever O'Toole got paid for that was nothing compared to the bill of him just treating the production staff every night. No, absolutely, absolutely. But oh God, he was he was good in that. But he, he was good in everything. O'Toole wasn't he? Aww. But I think that that production of Casanova, I thought, was a beautiful piece of television. Well, it got uh, got tenant the gig, didn't it? It did. It absolutely did. And you know, and and he did. He took it to number one. I can't. T- we can't fault him there. Exactly. And, I do, I... and so I, I think that I need to sort of not that he gives a shit in his smashing house. <laughs> I'm not going to go listening to the, the podcast. <laughs> He's I'm listening sure now, he and weeping, weeping onto Georgia Tennant's shoulder. That's yeah, what he's doing, I'm Mike. Sure he's like, you. "Oh, thank God, the boys are being nice to me at last." <laughs> like he gives a shit. Um, <laughs> but I mean, fair play to him. It's a big bloody ask. That I mean, we we do take the piss out of these people, obviously. Mm. But the pressure that is on the shoulders of people like that. I mean, with 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 um rtd coming back i mean he seems such a guy of such hubris and talent that it wouldn't daunt him no. you know but he could do a howard candle at everton and fail spectacularly what you said today mm. is wonderful if that's the way that the show is going to go well i'm mean, i'm prepared to share that i'm prepared because because it's just rumor at the moment but it's coming from a half decent source it's the idea that either what uh RTD is going to do is we're either going to get a series of Doctor Who which features other possible Doctors who didn't exist. Series just come on, stop that at once. I don't like these modern things. Go over there. Don't Um, don't like that. Um, So we're either going to get a series of possible Doctors who could have existed in alternative timelines. We've got a different guest actor per episode. Or we're going to get an episode with each of the past Doctors. That's the rumour doing the rounds, but yes. it is from a decent sort. Yeah, the, the latter <laughs> maybe lovely. for you. 
Wouldn't that be oh, no, all of it. All of it. But, what? I mean, the idea that we could have that leading up to, as you said, the 60th anniversary, whereby, you know, why not have Sean Pertwee playing uh, the third Doctor? Why not mm. have, certainly not, um, is it Reese Shearsmith who played Troughton in mm. that? No. Oh, the, no. no, the thing get to do there is get, um, get David Troughton, who's got his dad's face. He's tall, you know, though, isn't he? But so was Troughton. Was he? This is... Do you not right? This is the thing, and it completely freaked me out. Troughton was something like five foot eleven. No, I joking. didn't know that. I thought he was a little uh, chaplain esque. Yeah, you as think we know. that? You think that? You think that he's going to be quite short? And I looked up his height, and he's not that short. He's taller than me. He certainly is a t- he's a fairly decently sized chap. Oh. What you've got there is a man who could. That's acting. When you've got someone who actually thinks about, well, what height is this character? And adjusts their posture accordingly. Right, Troughton right. wasn't a short man, particularly. Right. Wow. Admittedly, stood next, to, stood next to Pertwee, who was six foot five or something, and you know, like a light bulb, he glistens. You know, stood the next thrill to of the three doctors when we didn't even oh. have a clue about the cannon. Absolutely beautiful. My birthday, stuff. ninth birthday, 23rd of November, 1981, the five mm. doctors' season. Mm. When that started, my God. I didn't have a yes. clue what any of it was about. Never seen no. Doctor Who before. No. Absolutely. But to see those, God, I can remember the Crotons and thinking the Crotons was the best television ever made. God, I thought it was wonderful. Ah, I, I know why did. you like that. Why? Because Ronald Allen wears that mad shoulder. Nope. No, that's the Dominators. They did, oh, is they showed, it? Right, okay. Yeah, they showed the Crotons. If they'd have shown the Your knowledge of season six is so much more oh, superior to mine. Dominators but then I, beautiful. He's great in that. Mm. I mean, it, it, they're all great in that with those bloody... The, the thing about that, about season six, mm. is... I don't know what it is about season six that's so different to the rest of the Troughton years, but... It certainly spawned that whole season 6B movement mm. because obviously you had that gap between the war games and blah, blah, blah. But I think that it was kind of like, you know how they say that, well, then, the mainstream and the counterculture, there was a, a bit of a gap, wasn't there? I think that yeah. 1969 is when television became 1967, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does make sense, yeah. Um, I think what you had there was a production that was in trouble. Um, Troughton resigned, I think, on set... <laughs> Um, during, really? I th- yeah, I think it was when they were making the Seeds of Death, and he had a massive paddy because th- you know he was doing forty-six episodes a year. That's a <sighs> massive undertaking when yeah. you're the lead actor and you've got the majority of the words to say. And he had somewhat of a paddy and said, "That's it, done." And they had to sort of coax him back and and get him to do the rest of the season. But he had that. There was another script which was by Dick Sharples called The Prison in Space, which reads like something from the two Ronnies, bits of cross-dressing, and it was quite broad comedy. And then that fell through at the last minute. So suddenly you've got them saying, well, we've got all these slots to fill. That's why you get the War Games, a big ten-parter, which was being written as they were making it. And it was just because, well, what the hell do we put out? So it was a production that was having a few problems at that point, and Troughton just wanted to go as well, I think. So yeah, he was quite capricious, wasn't he? I mean, from uh, mm. Michael Troughton's book and from the the sort of well, I suppose his book's the authority, isn't it? Really, you know what mm. I mean? Anything else that you see on the internet is either third hand or are to be viewed with um, at least suspicion. Um, mm. But from his book, it's like 
He was a very interesting character, was Troughton. Incredibly interesting. And, yeah, I mean, Michael Troughton, when he speaks to him, it's the first Doctor Who person I ever interviewed was Trout, uh, Michael Troughton. And it it was lovely, just not to ask the usual, oh, do you remember him in costume or any of that shit? Yeah. To talk about the man. Um, and a question I asked him was, when you think back to your dad, not the actor, but to your dad, what's the memory you've got of him? And he described this country lane near their house and how he'd run from the house down to the bus stop and he'd wait and it was seeing his dad getting off the bus and his dad would just do this thing where he'd look at him, do a big smile and then just chuck his arms open and trap Michael Trapner would run into him and just wow. wrap around him. That lovely memory of the, you know, there's such love there that, that clearly that that he had for him. And then of course, Tra- Matt, Patrick Troutman is a brilliant artist. There's some wonderful photos on the internet. I must try and find them and put them on the Twitter feed of all the paintings he used right? to do. Right, did not, which know. I had no idea about. No. Wonderful artist as well, you know, a, a bit of a Renaissance man, our Patrick. You know, a, a good all rounder. But I think that too, not unlike Tennant now. Or Tennant when he was doing Doctor Who. I mean, Troughton was carrying that show. Yeah. And there were so many, like, to, to flip back a bit here, there were so many sort of different shows. There were so many different um, actors working. I think that to have been someone who was carrying a show all year round, you must have felt the pressure. Yeah. You know, it's not like you were part of a big ensemble. You had different casts every week. All right, there was him, Fraser Hines, Wendy Pabri, or, or Deborah Watling, but you had that pressure of, I am carrying this programme. Does this- d- Did Troughton have that thing whereby, because with Hartnell, you get the occasional week off, don't you? A holiday for the Doctor and the gunfighters and all these other things. Mm. I don't seem to... Did he get weeks off like that? Oh, yeah. They're, they're oh, all yeah, weeks they're off. Out. Um, there's always uh, oh, the web of fear. He's not in episode two. Um, he right. he's missing in the tunnels of the London Underground. He right, so he did get three. a week off every now. And so then. there were weeks off here and there, scattered about for all the cast. Um, but I think, nevertheless, the pressure that they were oh, under. Sometimes, sometimes they'd be given a week off from being in studio, so they could do pre-filming on the next series on the next story. So you know, it was huge pressure to be doing that to produce yeah. this all year round. God. Huge. Anybody who Absolutely. carries a show that big on the shoulders is massive. I'm 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 sort of mindful of the fact we've probably been talking about Doctor Who for twenty minutes or something now. We've done a bit again, haven't we? But, we but have. no, it's it's a love of an actor, this one, and a special actor. Well, with Troughton, I mean the medieval churches thing that, that you dug up the other week. Mm. Um, I mean there were two, weren't there? There was was it in medieval churches and Medieval Abbeys where he walks around I think it's uh, is it I never know how to pronounce it. Revo Abbey. Oh Revo, yeah, in Yorkshire. Uh so he yeah. does Revo and then he goes to Fountains Abbey. Yeah. And he's just wandering around them, sort of like read it and the script is clearly it's not the best script. And I think these were made for the National Trust just to be sold in gift shops. Right. So the scripts aren't great, but my god, to see Troughton in his Paisley Patton jumper. Yeah. Wandering through ruins, talking to camera—that's a treat, isn't it? I must put those on YouTube. I don't yeah, think it's, it's a very we'll good fit YouTube. as well, isn't it, to have someone like him talking yeah. about it? I mean, because Absolutely. because when you speak about things like medieval churches and medieval abbeys and all this sort of thing, it's a kind of we only know them as monuments, don't we? You know what I mean? And um, mm. I remember um, 
Neil Neil Innes saying to me one time about when he was at St Martin's College and uh, his teacher that I can't think of his name. He's a very famous artist, uh, Val. I'll, I'll remember his name, but not now. And he was no. saying about, can you imagine what a medieval cathedral was like when people lived in the mud and this thing had stained glass and the light came through it and the mullion windows and all this? It must have been like seeing a spaceship. You know, and so we don't appreciate that because with the Reformation, what we have is a whole world whereby the only art that existed in Britain at the time, certainly in England, uh, was um, religious art. So mm. overnight, Henry VIII made art illegal because, yep. you know, we didn't have any music, we didn't have any uh, sculpture, we didn't have any painting that wasn't religious art. And so mm. in order to, um, you know, satisfy his own um, ends, he he made art illegal overnight. So you had stained glass windows smashed to pieces, you had the, the sacking of the monasteries, you had all of that. And so mm. when you talk about Revo, when you talk about fountains, and when you go to Glastonbury Abbey, where apparently in the pub opposite the... Uh, the the whatever and pilgrim the pub is the legend goes that Henry VIII sat in the chair in the window and watched the abbey burn you know what we don't realize is that the destruction of uh, those medieval cathedrals and churches was was the death of that sort of that uh, that original chivalric age you know it ended the the thing that the Normans venerated so much the thing that um, who was the first guy who wrote all the Arthurian stuff? Was it Geoffrey of Monmouth or someone? Yes, it was, yeah. The people who 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 made all this colour. And the thing that people don't appreciate about the English were they were a very... Well, the English, the Scots, uh, and the Irish, obviously, and the Welsh, were a very sort of vibrant uh, European nation, the same mm. as the Spanish, the Italians, the French, and all of this. We had just as much colour, we had just as much art, we had just as much passion, we had just mm. as much joie de vivre, or whatever you want to call it. However, in order to satisfy the machinations of the ruling elite that was all stunted overnight and the mm. and the church stones were scrubbed of their paint the paintings were smashed up the sculptures were burned the 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 stained windows were smashed in order to give us the church of Eng or the church in England as it was mm. as it was then which was just our white room with the little numbers on the wall of the hymns yeah. And that in and, many and ways explains the, the, the delineation between the English um, psyche and the European one. No, absolutely. Uh, but, but what I love there is, uh, if you go to Stratford-upon-Avon, um, to the church where Shakespeare was baptised, where, uh, where he was buried and all that sort of thing, you can see those pictures still. And the reason for that, and they were whitewashed. And they were white, but they were whitewashed with one thin coat. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of that went on. Just yeah. so, let's just do this for now, just and then in we'll, case, because yeah. it might flip back again. Um, yeah. One of the people who, who was in charge of the whitewashing was John Shakespeare, his father. Right. Um, but they they just put this uh, this layer of whitewash on, and of course, over time, that's faded, and you can see those pictures, and they are beautiful to see but yeah. it, what must they have looked like you know originally to have actually seen them in their glory that would it have must been... have been like a spaceship no it must have been. as as it neil's tutor said to him um Absolutely. i mean there's certain i've been in a, quite a few sort of old chapels up and down the country and and mm. seen various you know sort of remnants of these things i mean the the single layer of whitewash was quite deliberate you know, it, oh, yes. and, it, and it wasn't just in case the uh, 
the power uh, base shifted, it was because, you know, they didn't particularly wish to destroy it. But they found yeah. things like, you know, the ancient rude screens. I mean, if you've seen the, the rude screens that they found up and down. Yes. The, yes. the nation. And so Beautiful. what we had was a sort of, you know, an English pre-Raphaelite movement, whatever you want to call it, um, that was all squashed overnight. And I think that the English psyche in many ways has that um, that schism in it, doesn't it? It has that schism mm. of sort of like anything which is beautiful and anything which is passion and anything which is we try to stamp on and we try to squash it and it's just like who you for you fucking are do you know what i mean i think that that is a direct consequence of all of that Um, no absolutely i think you've got the you've got those two big movements you've got the puritan movement and then you've got the victorian movement which was basically Art and sex, that's not for the likes of you. Um, I mean, my understanding of sort of the Victorian approach to pornography was you were allowed access to it so long as you were male, had a degree, and a letter from uh, a doctor uh, that said you were of sound mind. And then you were allowed access to pornography, but you had to have the degree. Um, <laughs> otherwise, right. otherwise, you couldn't possibly cope with seeing these dirty things. Whereas, of course, if you read Chaucer, Chaucer's filth. Absolute filth. Well, but the, then, interchange- no, get the interchangeability within Chaucer of the word quaint and cunt is, yes. is, is is sort of like tells you precisely how those the the people back then uh, use their language. You know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. And Shakespeare's riddled with it as well. Whenever he says, you know, oh, yeah. quiver, you just go, oh, quiver, orgasm, straight away, dirty, wonderful stuff, which everybody knew. But of course, back then. There was this freedom. I mean, to have actually, uh, we may have talked before about if you wanted to go to the Globe Theatre, you've got to go past the burb fighting pit. There's the Globe Theatre next to it, and yeah. then round the corner is Grope Cunt Lane, Absolutely. where you've got the 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 brothels. You know, there was an openness there, which then had to be done away with because it's not for the likes of you. Absolutely, and and I think that the the work of Shakespeare is very indicative of this sort of this chivalric. Um, you know, Catholic sort of in, uh, mentality that was predominant throughout Europe, throughout the Middle Ages. So you see, Paul, you're lot lost. <laughs> Is that all that was needed? That's all that bloody was, wasn't it? <laughs> nah, it weren't that clear. It weren't that clear. It's just that um, you know, when we, when, when you, when you, when you balance all of that. Against mm. paintings of racehorses in the 18th century, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that you does, could say. But I mean, no. Look, they're the two. We both are here to represent both halves of that fucking schism within the psyche. Absolutely, absolutely. You know. Even you know, this week you even tried to get a commercial break in the show, <laughs> trying to keep ITV going <laughs> with your Granada bullshit. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean that is the sort of the 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 thing that that has underlined um, the delineation in the development of the English psyche for a it thousand is. years. The, it is. That break that's from why, Europe. That's why it's this week. Oh, that that's why this week I found I found something rather lovely that I lost down the back of a sofa. Oh. And I found it this week and I oh, oh right there's there and that's where it was and it, it's this this little ring uh, that I'm wearing here oh, on my nice. on my right hand. This is uh, this is a lover's ring. Um and it dates well not this this is a copy. Um but it was found when they were excavating the Rose Theatre in London they found this ring. 
and you used to give it uh, to your to your loved one. If you were going off on the high seas or something, you'd have a ring made. Um, and this is uh, one that they found when they were digging up uh, the rose, and you can buy them at the Globe now. So I got it when I was at the Globe about 15 years ago, and it's inscribed with the words in Latin, uh, think of me, God willing, and you'd give that to your lover. I think that's just such a beautiful thing, yeah. and it's that we don't do. We don't do that sort of thing anymore. And and it's, it's sad that we do now have this repression about when it comes to art, when it comes to sex, which is very much what, like you said, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. It's that. And it's this unfortunate divorce between us and Europe, which does go back, as you were saying, it goes back to that point, the divorce of, of the church. And it's sad because that... You know, it's it's such a shame that the way that we're thought of now is that, all right, we've got Shakespeare and we've got football hooliganism, but there's so much more that yes. we just need to embrace again as a country. The fact that we do have art and we do have, you know, we've got beauty and we we need to appreciate that again so much more and not be embarrassed. No, but we are. And that's the way it terribly, is. Terribly, terribly. I mean, even my, uh, and, and this goes back to what I was trying to um say earlier when I was because your COVID story for the week my kitchen's being done at the minute literally as as we speak um, and, and, and so, yet as we can see you've dressed as a workman whilst another I workman have. is downstairs doing I the have. work I feel that I must don the print frock of dame imagination <laughs> if I'm to converse with people no, absolutely yeah. um, but you know uh, granddad being the ultimate sort of um, example of you know catholic intellect or catholic mentality whatever even he wasn't averse to a bit of turner and uh, at least the echoes of that and these hang in the kitchen uh, um these hang in the kitchen here we go hang on i've gone the wrong way around the radio okay. people won't give a shit but these hang in the kitchen look look at these do well, they for still the benefit of these? those listening on the wireless what are, what are we looking at here we're looking at a couple of pottery uh horses heads that, mm. that go across uh, my kitchen my kitchen entrance dear um <laughs> now what i love about these more than anything is the way that they're sort of half heads and they hang on the wall as you can see there's only half a head right oh, so yes. you put a nail yeah, in the wall yeah. but what i adore more than anything about these is this one which has on the back of it five shillings oh there you go and that's how much lovely. this per i mean there's a big glue mark across there because obviously i knocked them off the wall jumping about to bloody uh dexy's midnight runners as a kid wow. but yes. um the sort of like i say when art did return in the 18th century it was all horses wasn't it and people stood mm. with big grand horses and stuff like that and in many yes. ways the sort of they're the two sides of our character in this country. You know, we sort of we celebrate the 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 metaphysical pre-Reformation, and then afterwards we sort of celebrate our harnessing of nature via the Industrial Revolution. Be that the fact that we can put horses into a paddock and make them do what we say, and you know, we we control the universe, we control nature, um, and I suppose that. It is that thing whereby our artistic movements were reborn after the Industrial Revolution. And this then goes into what... Um, this is a bad form to dis to say in any kind of broadcast, but things we were talking about earlier whereby they might be biomechanics or whereby they might be sort of that kind of uh, utopian um, mm. view of the world, isn't it? Whereby yeah. we are very much... We are very much in control. Freedom through our control of the environment. Yes. No, absolutely. Um, and it's 
we need to I think we need to once again we we should start to try and embrace you know those things from the past that that part of me for example that these days is is proud to be an atheist but still loves you I'm I'm at my happiest in an old church I love the mm. smell of an old church it's like mm. the smell of a library I love that I I I go to church uh twice a year I have to go to a carol concert I have to there's yeah. something there there's something there's something magical about that that I that I have to go to. You're a, a, a you know I'm not a particular fan of Dawkins, um, but you are a cultural Christian, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair point. I mean, my my as he described my, he described himself as that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love it all apart from the the, the belief bit. You know, that's the, the only dogma. bit which sort of yeah, that's where I get stuck because I go, oh no, surely no, that's nonsense. But um, for me, it's it's Hitchens really. He was the one who did it in the end. Uh, Christopher Hitchens basically unravelled it, and I went, oh, I can't put that back together. Um, but no, give me give me an old church. Give me, I'm a songs of praise Christian. I don't give a toss about any of it, but I like the music. I don't I like, like songs of praise. No. Do you not? No, well, I don't no, like no, it no, now. No. It's all modern. Yes, it's no, horrid. No, no, no. It's don't horrid. Like, don't like modern. No, 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 no. Um, but no. with but the trouble is, and that's what happened after the Renaissance. The Renaissance, isn't it? That that um, mm. Christianity got so up its own ass that it started to pick it all apart and ultimately destroyed it. Yeah, because absolutely, th- that's what happened. Hmm. In, or in my case, it was 1989 at church when they introduced a drum kit. I thought, absolutely not. Good no. God, man. No. A drum kit and an electric guitar. No. 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 Not no. in a church. Not no. having it. You've, no. got, you've got the organ. Play the organ. That's your lot. The organ is more than enough. Right? It is. That's fine. Um, but electric instruments and certainly rhythm instruments in a church, absolutely not. No, no, sorry, absolutely no. not. We can't have that. Well, we've no. we've ended on a note of agreement. We have, we yes. have, which I think We're the bringing... boys and girls at home will enjoy. <laughs> I hope so. Yes. We're bringing those yes. two sides back together. We're almost like a merger between. It's almost like ITV taking over TV Centre, but I'm not allowing that. No, you're not allowing that. But no. at least That's we've the squirt. shitty knickers. That's the shit. I was just going to say. <laughs> 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 that is the skiddy duds in cubicle it one is. that we don't like. That we don't like. Uh, but um, that's been an interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed that, boys and girls at home. If you can get anything from that, then best of luck. Um, best of luck with that. Once again, we should just say the thing that we always say. We'll say this at the start next week. Oh, give I... the Twitter feed every week. Every week. Give, give the Twitter feed a follow if you yes. would. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a lovely five-star review on iTunes or whatever. That'd be jolly nice. That'd be well, spread the word. Spread Thank the you. word. And, and apologies uh, that we appear to be putting this out a day late, but we've been jolly tired. It's very tired. Very tired. Very yeah. ill and having the kitchen put in. It's, it's uh, all those awful. things and yet more. Uh, we're approaching oh, yes. our 20th episode, I believe. We are. Now, is this number 18, I think? I think this might be even number 19, you know. 18. It's 18 or 19. No, 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 19. Yes, so for, for our 20th. Yes, we will be doing something a little bit special. A little bit we? special, yes. And you will. Uh, we there may have been a little promo for that in the middle. May yet have been. there may have been, but as we've not done that yet, who knows? I seem yeah. to have a lot of work cut out for me before putting this out tomorrow. But I shall do it. By jingo, yes. I will do it. <laughs> and uh, once again, a lovely chat, dear boy. 
Lovely to have a chat. Nice evening listening to your big finish. Oh, that's what's happening tonight. It'll be the big finish of until someone does a northern accent and then the Charles Mingus goes back on. Good man. Yes, that's the stuff. Absolutely. Well, another fabulous chat. And uh, until the same time next week, have a lovely week, everybody out A lovely week. I don't know where that was a bit of sort of... Uh, I don't know what was that, Roy Castle or something? <laughs> okay, about that. Uh, have a lovely week, everyone at home. And uh, until the next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production.